everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW show where we hit on all the latest and greatest topics of the week. As always, I am glad to be back in the saddle bringing you this podcast. It's a lot of fun every week to sit here and discuss all the big news that's been going on. And of course, with Bayern Munich and recently with Germany, there is just a ton to talk about. So why don't we just get to it? And we'll skip all of the pleasantries. Let's jump right into something following our normal format of the five things that we learned this week. And the first thing that we learned was that Germany is getting very serious about fixing its issues as a footballing nation as they have employed a task force, something I've been referring to as an advisory council, and have done so with the hopes that they'll be able to change things and positively impact football in Germany, whether that means development, whether that means clubs working together, I don't know. But it's very interesting that Germany has went down this road because they have put together some real power brokers to be able to work together and try and sort out why Germany has been so poor of late. And I guess if you wanted to track it all the way back, you would say that the last time that Germany had really done well in a tournament, and this was not a major tournament by any means, was the 2017 Confederations Cup, which of course famously featured a B team working under Gilgi Love, which included Leon Goretzka, Joshua Kimmich, uh, Timo Werner, among others. I mean, there were just so many good young players on that team, and it looked like Germany was heading toward a golden generation, but of course that has not happened. So who is on this task force? What are they doing? I don't know what they're doing, but we sure as hell know who is on it. Let's talk about those people right now. Bernd Neuendorf, uh, Hansio Kimwatsky, Oliver Kahn, Oliver Minzlaff, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, Matthias Sammer, and Rudy Voller. So that is a just a, a huge amount of footballing knowledge compiled right there. Those people all in the same room, you would think have a lot of great ideas. My question is, can they all work together? Because they are coming from some really opposing viewpoints. And let's be honest, have not always shown great willingness to work together in the past. While these players, well, while these people, some have been great players some have just had great executive runs working for clubs. They should have an idea of how to get back on track, but it's always the matter of doing it. Like they can develop the plan, but can you execute that plan? Right now, it seems like in Germany that the developmental years of football are, are not really producing the types of players that Germany would like to have. I mean, even if you look at Jamal Musiala, who is, without a doubt, Germany's best young player. He came up through the England youth teams rather than Germany. So you could say that there is a disconnect there in the development, whether that means it's coaching, whether it means it's talent identification, whether it just means being able to actually develop the talent once it's identified. There, there's a lot going on. And I don't know how you solve that issue. Uh, of course, in the United States, if Germany is a mess, we are a dumpster fire inside of a tire fire. It is a complete disaster in the United States. You have different governing bodies. You have different leagues. At least in Germany, they have a club-based support system to help develop these players. In the United States, it is obviously we have the pay-for-play part of it. 
And you have so many differing interests in how to identify players and how to develop those players. I could almost assure you, you're never going to get the best players in the United States uh, until maybe, maybe that final senior level. But even then, you could see that the best that the United States had to offer in this World Cup, like Germany, was not good enough. When it comes to the women's game, the United States, I think, sprinted out to a lead over its European competitors and it has been historically better. But when you get into the alphabet mishmash of what leagues players go into, whether it's ECNL, GA, USYS, or you talk about how those kids get identified, who's recommending those kids, how they are being developed once they enter that U.S. youth national team developmental system, it becomes a again a mess, and mess is really the theme for Germany and the United States. But you can see that the overlaying theme of what is going on with youth development is that there's a big failure in it. And when we shift back to Germany and we look at that, it's really hard to identify why, with a club-based system where the clubs are managing these players day to day, ensuring that they are not just developing their technical skills, but they are building their bodies through strength, speed, and conditioning programs. That they are being provided the best of meals, catered and suited to them, specifically to them. You would think that there would be a, a better result than what Germany is finding. And I think when you look at this task force and you look at how they're going to try and impact it, I think superficially they're going to start looking at things and they're going to say, well, there's a coaching issue or it's a talent issue. Um, that's just too broad right now. I don't think there's a major problem with Hansi Flick. I do think he was not at his best in the World Cup. And I do think that his decision-making probably played a key role in why Germany flamed out so quickly. But a lot of this, I do feel as though, was put on talent identification, how those younger players were developed. And I'm not sure that they actually put together the best possible German team heading into the World Cup. I do think Flick got caught up in looking at how he can look toward the future and include some younger players who really could not offer much at this point to the German team. And I do think that also hurt them because they limited their usable pool of players by including kids who probably weren't ready. And I guess because they weren't ready, that's why this task force was created. I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know what kind of decisions they're going to make. I don't know if they're going to look at the technical development, the physical development, or the talent identification, or everything. There's just so much that Germany has seemingly off right now that this task force is going to need to really drill down and figure out what the primary issues are. Um, but the, the the failure at the World Cup, for as much as I'd like to say it's a it's a talent development issue, it's really not if you want to look at this World Cup. I mean, this was this came down to a couple of things. The players on the field did not perform up to their capabilities. Now, of course, you could question, well, maybe you're overrating their capabilities, but I don't think so. I think that this group of players had talent. I, I have really, I have a feeling that they had problem functioning together, which is super disappointing since so many of them had experience playing together, either with club or country or both. So that that was disappointing. I also do think that Flick made some very poor decisions with his personnel. 
Thomas Muller and Ilkay Gundogan really didn't bring much to the table, yet he leaned on them at a time when he probably should have rode someone like Nicholas Fulkrug or incorporated Leon Goretzka earlier to work with Joshua Kimmich in the midfield rather than bumping Kimmich to right back, which again, I think that those types of decisions all really mess with the flow of Germany at the World Cup. So from a big picture standpoint, this task force is going to have to look at everything A to Z in what is going on with Germany's youth system and how to get the development back up to where it needs to be to compete with countries like France, even a country like Croatia, which does not have the individual talent that Germany has, has built something from a team concept, from a team aspect that allows them to be able to function on the big stage as a unit. And sure, Croatia did eventually flame out against Argentina, and that's perfectly fine because, frankly, Argentina was the better team. They should have won. But the fact that Croatia is able to band together like they have proven to over the last two World Cups and show that this team concept without having major, major stars, and of course you could say, well, Luka Modric is a major star. Yes, of course he is. He's also at the tail end of his career. Uh, The fact is that a country like Croatia has found some way to develop a cohesiveness that has been absent with Germany now for years. And I would argue it's been absent probably since about 2017, because that was the last time I saw a functioning German team look cohesive and actually look like they were on the same page. Now, when Flick took over, I really was confident that he was going to be able to manage this in a way that he built that cohesion. And I think for a while he did. But something happened over the course of the last six to eight months where After Flick had that good start, things started to fall apart piece by piece. I think some of it had to deal with Flick really wanting to use a player like Timo Werner and then Werner not being available. I think Flick had some ideas about things he wanted to do and and ways he wanted to use players, but in the end, maybe felt a little bit too much loyalty to players like Thomas Muller and Ilkay Gundogan. Of course, Flick coached Muller at Bayern Munich, and Muller was nearly at his best under Flick. And Gundogan is a player that Flick personally went out and recruited to come back to Germany when Gundogan was really contemplating retirement. So there is a lot to look at, and what this task force will be really counted on to do is fix things. And I'll be honest, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. But an interesting point did come up in our BFW Slack channel. And I I, I think it was something that someone had said on the internet. Um, I'll see if I can dig it up really quickly. Uh, one of the things that I know I need no name and Phil were talking about this. Uh, one of the best ways to really quiet criticism is to involve the critics in the process. And it's a genius move, really. <laughs> As I Need No Name said, you can really smother criticism by embracing it. So I do think there's something to be said for that, because when you look at some of these names and you're you're looking at people like Karl-Heinz Rummenigge or Rudy Voller, who have been critical of the German national team, if you want to sit back and criticize, the best way to get those people to stop criticizing you is to get them involved. So now all of these big voices are involved. They are a part of this. So I do think that that was a, a really smart move by the Day of Bay to be able to get these major players in and have them 
take a run at trying to fix things. And it was uh, Almuth Schult who had event, who had uh, initially put that thought out there, and I believe it was on Twitter to uh, to to put out the fact that you know these are the biggest critics that Germany has, so involving them quiets them and allows the DFB to really focus on fixing things. So, task force or not, Germany has a lot of work to do. We'll see how it goes. I'm very interested to see how it plays out because. Germany is at really a, a crossroads right now. They need to figure it out because after two straight flameouts in the World Cup, it just has to be better. And I don't know that they know how to make it better at this point. And once this generation of Kimmich and Gnabry and Sané and Goretzka and Nicolas Sula, when they start to age out, who is behind them? Because it's really bare when you look at the talent. Of course, we have Musiala, but there's not much else there. And that's what's scary, I think, for the, the DFB right now is they're looking at their talent pool and they can't really target who's ready once the 2017 Confederations Cup generation moves on. And that is a problem. And that will clearly be something that BFW will be watching and monitoring in the months and years to come. The second thing that we learned this week is that there are some crazy transfer rumors going on out there revolving around Bayern Munich. Uh, the first of which we'll hit on really quickly is Conrad Limer. Everything appears to be done with that deal now. And what that means for some of the other players on the roster, you could go on and on about. I could go on and on for hours, really. But with Limer, the two things that we really figured out this week, according to reports, were that, one, he's going to be offered a five-year contract, which he's expected to sign. Or I should actually say he has verbally agreed upon a five-year contract, which is a big commitment from Bayern Munich for a player who technically as of right now, wouldn't even be considered a starter on this roster unless Julian Nagelsmann has yet another formational change up his sleeve. But the other thing that we saw was that Limer is being considered for three positions, which is kind of weird because when I think of Limer and his skill set, I just picture a six, but he's also being considered to play some minutes at the eight and also as a backup right back, which to me, it just reeks of a break glass in case of emergency kind of move. I don't really think that they are looking at Limer as a right back, but he is someone that can really deputize there if needed. If, say, there was a, an issue with Benjamin Pavar, if he's around, or Nassar, or Nusar Mizrahi, or Josip Stanisic. Uh, I do think that Limer is, uh, is destined to be the six-year and I do think that it will have uh, some ramifications for some starters on the roster right now. I just think Nagelsmann wants a certain type of player at the six. Of course, if he plays there, you might be thinking, well, what happens with Kimmich? I think Kimmich's been angling for months now to play the eight and get out of that deeper role and have a little more offensive uh, part of his game show. And I think that's what's going to happen. So, again, your immediate thoughts then, well, what happens to Leon Gretzka? Oh, we could go on for days about what's probably going to happen uh, to Leon Gretzka. But I do think Limer's being brought here for a reason, for a purpose. And I think that purpose is to be the starting six at Bayern Munich. One of the other rumors that we heard was that with Limer's arrival, Marcel Sabitzer is pretty much gone. And that's unfortunate because Sabitzer has been really good this year. I think he was a player who got off to a bad start at Bayern Munich last season. I think the change from RB Leipzig to Bayern Munich really didn't suit him well initially. I think it was a lot to take. 
my theory has always been that it's exceptionally hard to go from being the man for one club to being an afterthought for another. It's one mentally draining because you want to be out on the field. You want to play, you want to perform and you're not getting that opportunity. And two, I I do think that Sabitzer changing at the time and he changed, it was just really kind of upsetting to his routine and it took him a while to get used to it. Even though it was a move that he wanted to make, there is the whole life adjustment of having to move to a different city, having to potentially be away from your family for stretches and having to work things out that way. It can be really upsetting and discomforting for some players. And I do think that that also hit Sabitzer pretty hard as well. But it would be a shame to see him leave after just two seasons because I, I think he had finally figured it out. He was getting into a pretty consistent role. And unfortunately for him, you know, he has been caught up in this mix where Yashua Kimmich and Leon Gretzka have been the starters and he's kind of been the third wheel. Uh, luckily, he's had some stretches where Kimmich has been out or Gretzka has been out. And when I say luckily, I just mean for Sabitzer's playing time, not for the greater Bayern Munich cause. Um, Sabitzer has really taken advantage of his opportunities this season. So to me, he had shown that he is a very capable player, that he is still a starting level player for sure. I think he's exceptional. But that where he's going to have to go to show his talents from this point forward. It looks like he's going to have to leave Bayern Munich to do that. And I would expect that he leaves this summer. I don't think there's any chance that he moves on this winter just from a depth issue. I don't think Bayern Munich trusts Ryan Gravenberg right now to fulfill any type of central midfield role. In fact, we know that he's really being considered as a backup attacking midfielder at this point, which tells us pretty much all we need to know about what Byron thinks of his defensive ability right now. So Gravenberg moving to back up the 10 uh, certainly would require Sabitzer to stay in place this season. One of the other rumors that we heard was kind of crazy uh, that Byron Munich was worried about Harry Kane's cost, which of course he's not going to be cheap and that they would consider going after uh, Manchester United's Marcus Rashford as a potential replacement uh, for Kane in the transfer sweepstakes. I, I don't know if I buy it. It's nothing against Rashford. He's a fine player, uh, definitely a capable player. I don't know if Byron looks at him and sees him as the type of nine that they need for to run whatever formation that Nagelsmann wants to run. Of course, uh, I mean, Rashford has some great quality. He showed that in the World Cup. Uh, Harry Kane, to me, is more of a true nine. Uh, and while I... I do have some questions about how Kane would fit. Uh, he's a good enough player to make it all work. It's just, again, you're worried about his age because, you know, he will be entering his 30s and he is is a player with a decent amount of mileage on him as well. That said, I think Byron would be crazy not to go after him if he is affordable. I just really question if Byron would pull the trigger on what could be a high eight-figure, low nine-figure transfer fee request from Tottenham Hotspur. I just, I, I can't see it, to be honest with you. So uh, the Rashford over Kane deal, I think, was kind of funny, but I don't really think there's much legitimacy to mm-hmm. it. Although I've been wrong before, as you can all attest to. So maybe there actually is something in the work there. Huh, the third thing that we learned this week is that replacing Manuel Neuer after his broken leg is going to be exceptionally hard for a variety of reasons, and we can quickly skim through them now. If you want to look at the immediate thought that Bayern Munich had, and that might have been to check out what kind of transfers they could make in January to to give them a solid number one keeper. Most of them have been ruled out at this point. 
Dominic Livakovic had a great World Cup for Croatia. Yeah, Dinamo Zagreb goalkeeper has just been, well, not has been. He was ex- exceptional during the tournament. He was great. Had a little bit of a rough time there in the last match against Argentina. But I do think when you look at the, the penalty that he was assessed Early on, I don't really think it was a penalty, and I think that set the tone for the rest of the match. So um, Livakovic, I, I, I thought, really did well, and he got clubs interested in him, mostly because he was solid during the matches, but he was incredible against penalties. So that was that was really key, I think, for Livakovic. And, you know, he had a great performance in front of Oliver Kahn, which might have helped his case. But it appears that Bayern Munich is not going to be pursuing him so we can cross his name off the list. Another one that we saw was Kaylor Nevis of PSG. Of course, Bayern is playing PSG in the Champions League in this upcoming round. There is zero shot that PSG is going to help out Bayern Munich at this point. I think Bayern Munich, even if they offered PSG a ton of money for Navas, there was no shot. There's no way with what's at stake that PSG would risk that, especially because Navas might have a little bit of an edge uh, inside of him about PSG since he has been replaced. And I think that, you know, it would be really silly for PSG to do this and, and Bayern, you know, there's nothing wrong with them for kicking the tires and seeing if they can make something work, but probably not realistic. The other name we saw was Jan Sommer, who is, uh, and would be great, right? Gladbach's goalkeeper. He has been, um, really a thorn in the side of Bayern Munich for, for seasons now. And he's been great. He is he's still a very strong goalkeeper. We've actually seen him linked to moves to Manchester United to be a backup, which seems crazy to me. Summer is too good for that. Uh, but I don't think Gladbach is going to be giving him up anytime soon, especially to Bayern Munich. This Bayern team could be susceptible to lose the Bundesliga without Manuel Neuer, without Luca Hernandez. Uh, you know, before the break, they looked great. But if you take those two players out of the mix, it certainly is going to have an effect. I don't think Jan Sommer will be making that move to Bayern Munich, although it would be pretty good, right? Uh, the last name that we heard is uh, Morocco and Sevilla goalkeeper, Yassine Buno or Bono, uh, who, again, strong World Cup, uh, really did some great things to keep Morocco in the tournament, um, you know, it was just, again, he's just very steady, very solid. But, you know, I, I don't think that's another move that Bayern Munich is going to make. I think that despite the way that he played in the World Cup, Bayern is really laser focused in on on getting their own loanee back. And that's Alexander Nubel. Um, I think Bayern would really like to bring Nubel back. There is a lot of bad blood between Nubel and the club right now. Something has clearly went on with Nubel, his interactions with Neuer, his interactions with goalkeeper coach Tony Tabalovic, who seems to be that that seems to be one of the major issues. There is this whole trifecta of Nubel, Tabalovic and Neuer. There's something going on that that did not sync well with Nubel. And he seems to be very resentful of working with Bayern Munich's goalkeeper coach. And also just even being around the team if if Neuer's around. So it's very odd. Uh, something tells me that there's a, a big backstory to this that none of us know about. I don't think that Nubel is just um, really trying to put the brakes on this move because he's, you know, posturing for some kind of guarantee about a starting role in the future or something like that. 
I think there's some legitimate issue or legitimate beef there. And the fact is, it might be so important to Newble that he might not agree to come back. And if he doesn't do that, what Byron would be left with is looking at Sven Ulreich. And listen, Sven Ulreich is a is a very good goalkeeper. He is the perfect player to back up Manuel Neuer when Neuer is healthy. Problem is, over the course of starting and the longer that Ulreich plays, there could be some issues with his consistency. And and again, that's why he's been a, a good quality backup keeper for the majority of his career, because he is that good at stepping in and filling in and being able to do things on short notice, how he can maintain his consistency and focus while being the starter for the entire Rook Ronda could be, well, it's not could be, it will be integral to what Bayern Munich can do in the Champions League. And if they can even go forward and win the Bundesliga or DFB Pokal, uh, I'm a big fan of Ulrich. I think that he does a tremendous job. I do think that Bayern is, is, is right to at least be a little concerned about how he'll hold up in the coming months and weeks. He's also, you know, he's also been banged up at times in his career. So, uh, you know, if you want to ride with Ulrich, you have to accept the fact that right now your backup is Johanna Schenk, who is a very young player. And who knows if he's ready for the type of bright lights that he would face if he gets called upon to play a Champions League match or a DFB Pokal match or even an important Bundesliga match. The, the goalkeeper situation for Bayern Munich is incredibly difficult to, to handicap right now because it is you couldn't really call what's going to happen because Nubel really is showing that he, he might not want to come back. Uh, the transfer targets don't really appear to be realistic at this point where Bayern has already said they're not interested in some of them. It, it's going to be very difficult, and as I've talked about many times Julian Nagelsmann is going to be facing a very big test in how he handles this I know a lot of fans right now are pointing out that Nagelsmann really should be given the the chance because he should be giving the be given the benefit of the doubt given the the two catastrophic injuries that have happened uh, during this World Cup break I don't know how much patience Bayern has I do think that Nagelsmann, and I've written this, I do think that he will get through this season no matter what happens, even if they flame out in the Champions League, they lose the Bundesliga and get knocked out of the Pokal. I think he has bought himself one more year. But if he flames out in all three of those competitions and then he comes out next year and things don't look great right from the get-go, and we know that sometimes his teams uh, have an issue with starting on a good note for a season, I do think he will find himself firmly on the hot seat and potentially could be one of those situations where if they can't turn it around or get going in the first half of next season, that the club would look to start to replace him at, at that midseason mark. But again, that's all very speculative right now. Right now, Nagelsmann just has to be focused on a couple of things, figuring out what the goalkeeper situation is and how that's going to work really Nailing down what formation he's going to run and who's going to play where was with all of the attacking talent and midfield talent that Bayern Munich has at its disposal. There are still going to be a lot of unhappy people, especially if those stories we saw about which players are playing where, how that all pans out, because I, I can assure you there are going to be some very high maintenance, biggie good players who are not going to be happy with being a designated backup and 
you know, you could probably throw Thomas Muller in that mix because he now is going to have to try and transition to being a striker, a role that he's probably not suited for at this point in his career. Nagelsmann's got his work cut out for him. Let's just leave it at that. The fourth thing that we learned this week is that the injury to Luca Hernandez has created uh, just a lot of craziness. And whether you're talking about how that's all going to work on the back line or whether you're just looking at his potential contract negotiations, there's a lot going on. One of the stories we saw this week is that Bayern Munich is considering offering Hernandez a proposal that includes injury clauses that we can assume would either knock down his salary or void years or something like that. Fernandez has major injuries. If I'm a player, I would probably be a little turned off by the notion of some kind of injury clause within a contract, because it would tell me that the club might not have 100% faith that I'm going to recover and that I'm going to be able to come back at my previous form. And I think there's a justification for Bayern Munich to think that Hernandez might have some issues regaining his acceleration, that quickness, that burst, and also that top speed. He's always been a bit injury prone, a bit brittle, but now he's, again, a guy in his 20s. He's not really old, but he's picking up a lot of mileage for someone his age. He's had a lot of injuries. How does he come back from something like this, just a major knee injury? It's very doubtful to me that he's going to come back and have that immediate burst that he had prior to the injury. I mean, he was one of the quickest defenders you could find, especially a center back, if you're talking about covering the distance from zero to 10 yards. After that, I'm sure his speed fades off, but that initial burst that Hernandez had is really what made him a special player. Uh, he was a weapon at center back because he had that quickness and that catch-up ability and also the physicality for someone who's not that big of a guy. He was able to play physical because he was strong, even though he's not, say, one of these, you know, Matthias DeLict center backs who's 6'3", 6'4", you know, tipping the scales over 200 pounds. Hernandez is a smaller guy, relied on his quickness, his guile, but he did have strength. And and will he have the same type of strength if his legs do not recover the same way after this knee injury? I don't know. But I, I do think that Bayern Munich is skating on some thin ice by thinking about including these types of clauses in his contract. Because I don't think that other clubs, if they were looking at Hernandez, would be thinking about adding these types of clauses into his contract. Everyone fans, clubs, other players would be wary of inking Hernandez to a long-term deal just because of the situation with his injury history. But at the same time, he's proven to be a very good, if not great player, who should command a a, a top-tier contract. So Byron is in an impossibly hard situation with how to deal with this. I don't know if the story about the the injury clauses is legitimate but if it is i think byron could run in some trouble in negotiations because i don't feel like even despite his injury hernandez and his agent are going to feel like they should cede any ground in what he's asking for and what he wants one of the other situations that we saw rising this week around the back line is that benjamin pavar is pretty much out 
every story now is indicating that Pavard just wants to be gone. He does not want to be a part of the club anymore. He just wants to move on this summer and either find a place, a different place where he can play or somewhere that he can be a permanent center back. One or the other, it just sounds like he wants out. He's had his fill. And of course, if you've seen some of his antics with the French national team, he has pissed off teammates, coaches, uh, really fallen out of favor there as well. So I don't know if this is a Pavar attitude issue or if his performance is dropping. All I know is that in the Hinrunda, he looked very good for Bayern Munich. So I was shocked that he went into the French national team and kind of did what he did and fell out of favor there. Um, the interesting part of the story is that the Bayern Munich coaches don't want Pavar to leave because one, he's very versatile. He can he's a very good right back, a starting caliber right back. Uh, and he's been that way. I mean, he's been a starter for how long now at Bayern Munich there? But he's also a very good center back. I mean, it, it just amazes me that at this point, Pavar is going through some of the things that he's going through. And it, it seems all self-inflicted and attitude-based, really. Um, some coaches seem to love Pavar. Others, like Didier Deschamps, has, has not. He is right now not a big fan of Benjamin Pavar. But there are assisting coaches on the French national team who are sticking up for Pavar. Of course, we're seeing this story about Bayern Munich's coaches really wanting to retain him. It just doesn't look like it's possible. There's something going on with Pavar, and whether it's just him just being generally unhappy or just generally just being ready to move on and try something different. It appears that he will be gone and that there will be a big void for Bayern Munich to fill. And I don't know how they do it at this point. Do they go out and get another top-tier player? Do they try and find someone versatile? I have always championed the idea, if you're going to take a player and you want someone who's versatile and that can play a right-back position or a center-back position, I think you could really make Lucas Klosterman a, a terrific center-back. Uh, he's got that speed that you want. He has also had some injury problems in his career, obviously. I don't think he's available, but to me, if you were going to go out and experiment with changing someone's position and trying to get someone who has the physical tool set to play center back and the ability to jump out and play right back, I would personally go out and get Klosterman because I feel like he would be a great fit for that role and maybe not someone who would need to start every game, but someone who you could work in a rotation at center back and at right back. But I guess that's all forward thinking at this point because Pavar has not officially left yet, but it does appear that his days playing for Bayern Munich are numbered. So we'll be following that one. I mean, this is really going to kick off after the World Cup ends. I think we're going to see a lot of transfer news, a lot of player negotiation stuff. I think that's all going to start to come public. Bayern Munich cannot afford to let a player like Pavar walk away for free. So I, I don't anticipate that they will be housing him next season, just, you know, enter, allowing him to enter his walk year of a contract, you know, showing off, showing his talent and ability. I think that they're going, to, they know they have to sell him off next summer and there's not going to be any way they're going to be able to change his mind, even with a huge offer or the promises of playing center back at this point. It just seems like he's made his mind up and he is ready to move on. Finally, the last thing that we learned this week is that the second half of this season is going to be a huge test for Julian Nagelsmann. And I touched on this a little bit earlier, but Nagelsmann's got a lot going on. He's already experienced a fair amount of players griping about their playing time and roles. He's now got to face an incredibly hard Rook Ronda after a World Cup in the middle of the season. This is kind of unprecedented right now, so he's got to deal with that. But he's got to deal with players who, some of whom are already unhappy, 
some of whom are entering uh, key stages of their contracts, whether it's the last year, the last six months of their contract, or the last year and six months, all of which are important to Bayern Munich and how they view how to squad plan with how they re-up players or decide to let them go. Uh, Nagelsmann's got to work through all of that. He will also be missing Hernandez and Neuer, like we talked about. And as I stated, if these reports are true, he's already made the decision that he's going to replace Thomas Muller with Jamal Musiala and push Muller to be a striker. Muller, of course, would be competing with Eric Maxim Chupomoting, who, I mean, again, he had a very good hin rondo, but can he do it over the course of the Rook Ronda after the World Cup? And can he do it consistently? Uh, from what we saw in a Muller at the World Cup, it's very hard to believe that he's going, going to be able to be effective as a striker for Bayern Munich. But uh, there, there's no guarantee that uh, that Chupo Moting is going to be able to really sustain the performances he had in Hinrunde either. In my mind, in an odd way, as much as I was very skeptical of the formation, I still kind of think the four triple two is the way Nagelsmann should go. But it appears that despite the fact he doesn't have a top tier striker on his roster, he's going the power forward, looking at a four two three one, or potentially, I guess, a four three three. Though that seems a little doubtful. Uh, and really try and make it work that way. I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss that four triple two because I feel like with this roster, you need to think outside the box. You need to try to do something different. And I think he was going down the right path. I just think he got together with his coaches. And after they saw some of Chupo Moting's performances in, in, in the Hinrunde and what he was able to do acting as a, a striker, uh, really powered by all of the great players around him, I think they got the idea that they could make this work. And I think they also think that Thomas Muller could fulfill the role that Chupo Moting was doing. So it helps them build depth around certain positions. It gets all of the players working in a formation where they're comfortable and where they know how to operate. It probably allows him the flexibility to use three midfielders in Joshua Kimmich, Leon Gretzka, and Marcel Sabitzer in, in some sort of rotation to keep them fresh because, as stated, this is a World Cup season where the World Cup is happening dead in the middle of the club season, which we don't see. So it's all unprecedented, and it's all an opportunity for Nagelsmann to start to rewrite the book on how to manage something like this. I, I don't think this is going to be one of those there's Rook Rundas where you can look at Joshua Kimmich and you can say, oh, go ahead, play every minute of every game because we know you're going to freak out if you don't. No, he's going to have to pull the string on Kimmich and get him out of the game. He's going to have to sometimes rely on a starting tandem of Marcel Sabitzer and Leon Goretzka. Probably going to have to see what Ryan Gravenberg can, can add as the 10. Can he really fulfill this role? Because when Gravenberg was brought in, I was under the impression he would be an eight, maybe a six. But seeing him being moved to the 10, the play behind Jamal Musiala, someone who is younger than him, one, it, it can't be a great feeling for Gravenberg because that's a dead-end position if I've ever seen one. But two, we don't even know for sure if he's fully comfortable playing at the 10. And I know he's done some of that in the past, but it will be interesting to see if that affects how he plays and how he operates and if it changes his mindset. Remember, he was one of the players griping about playing time. I hate to break it to you, but... If you're behind Jamal Musiala, probably not going to play a whole hell of a lot. And given the other attackers that Bayern Munich has with Serge Gnabry, Leon, uh, Leroy Sané, Kingsley Coman, Sadio Mane, 
Thomas Muller, you have other options to play the 10. So it's not like you're necessarily going to see Gravenberg always be the backup 10. You might have other players stepping up and fulfilling that role because we've seen, obviously, Muller has been an all-time great at the position. We've seen Serge Gnabry play there. We've seen Sané play there. There are other possibilities. Uh, And I'm not so convinced that Nagelsmann is going to just lean on Gravenberg for that position. So Nagelsmann's going to have to man manage all of that, keep those guys happy in the attack and in the midfield. He's also got to figure out a way to draw more out of Matthijs Delict because now Delict went from being a rotational center back who could ease his way into the season, improve his fitness, improve himself, and get back on that star track that he was on. He went from being that in that role to now being an integral figure because Luca Hernandez is gone. So Delict is going to have to now be a counted upon starter with Dio Upamecano and potentially Benjamin Pavard, depending on what Pavard does and what the club does with him. Uh, to me, this is a very troublesome area for Nagelsmann because I don't, I was a big champion of the Delict move. I think that he still has this tremendous potential. He's got the physical tool set, to be the kind of player you want to be a center back. He's a team leader. He, he he checks all the boxes. His performances haven't been excellent like you thought they would. They've been good, but he's also made some horrendous mistakes, just like Upa Meccano has. Um, and, and to me, while Hernandez might not be as physically dominant as Delict or Upa Meccano, Hernandez was the best defender that the team had at center back. Uh, in the first half of the season. So how Nagelsmann works with that situation, how he gets the best out of Delict, how he gets consistency out of Upamakano, which has not always been there, how he gets Alfonso Davies to commit to defending, which is something that he did not do consistently himself in the first half. What Nagelsmann decides to do with Pavar and Nusarmas rally at the right back position if if Pavar is not coming back, is he ready to roll with Mesrali full time? And is Mesrali going to be good enough defensively to be able to establish himself as a full time permanent starting member of uh, the squad? I don't know at this point. And, and Nagelsmann, to his credit, might all have this. Might have all of this figured out. He might know exactly what he's going to do. But I'm not quite sure it's all going to work out. And I think this is going to be a huge test for him. I think he's got a lot of work ahead of him. He and his coaching staff are going to have to figure a lot of things out. And I don't think all of their experiments are going to work. I do think they're going to hit some troubled times. The Champions League looks very doubtful at this point. The DFB Pokal, given the you know one and done nature of it, could absolutely be an issue. And if Byron gets into one of those funks, it would not shock me that another club in the Bundesliga really mounts a strong challenge. Now, the only thing that Bayern has working for it among the Bundesliga competition is that the other Bundesliga clubs have not been great this season. They have not been consistent either. So this is really a season. If Bayern was to have a a down year, this is it because it, it looks like there's no one ready to step up and challenge Bayern, even in a year where they're weakened. So, uh, this is going to be really, really fascinating over the next few months to see what Nagelsmann does, to see if the club replaces Neuer, to see if there's any move that happens in January. Because we have heard for months now, there will not be a move. But that was before Neuer went down. That was before Hernandez went down. This is before Nagelsmann really committed 
to playing with a system that has a striker. Uh, you know, is it possible they will look for someone to fill that void either via a loan or a permanent transfer as a true number one striker? These are all things that that are going to have to be decided between the coaching staff and the front office. And either way, Nagelsmann is going to have to deal with a fallout. So for him, this is about as key a juncture as he's going to have in his coaching career. I don't think there will be any immediate fallout from it if he fails. I don't think he's going to get fired this season. But I do think that if he is not successful, he will firmly put himself on that hot seat for next year. And if he can't get off to a good start next season, if he's got players griping, it all could snowball into something that really does not work out well for him by midseason next year. So we will follow that. Uh, I am not super hopeful about how this second half will go. I do think Bayern could still win the Bundesliga I think that the Pokal is, is doable. I, I don't think the Champions League is a realistic goal at this point. I would love to be wrong about that, but uh, it just seems like there are a lot of issues right now that the team has to work through and that personnel-wise they're going to have a lot of trouble, uh, one, just getting past PSG, but then two, looking at the rest of the field, I'm not sure how they would really match up at this stage with some of those other teams. So, um Julian Nagelsmann, you have a lot of work ahead of you. So I hope your vacation in New York City has gone well because you have uh, quite a bit to do once you get back to Bavaria. As far as the entertainment rundown goes, as I've stated a million times, I am fully slacking on watching anything at this point in favor of actually getting some sleep for once. So I will get back on it and I will have some things to discuss. I am a terrible, terrible watcher right now i will say that that's why i could never really be an entertainment reviewer because at this point uh between all the stuff that i'm involved in uh on the site at work and with my kids and all of that i just don't have a lot of time to uh watch shows at this point but i do look forward to to diving into some of those ones i've been waiting on and i'll be honest this is this is a, a really poor admission i really can't find my ipad either like we had like hit it, I think, from my younger daughter because she was like, you know, always just like watching random stuff uh, on Netflix. Like, I think she watched like Stranger Things maybe two times, maybe two and a half. And we were like, dude, we have to we have to hide this iPad because she's just becoming obsessed with, with watching this show. And now whichever one of us hid that iPad, uh, we can't find it. So um, and that has I'll be honest, that's probably limited my viewing as well. So there's there's a. Some a good honest admission for you on why my TV watching has been slacking. So uh, I hope you appreciate that. If you're a parent, I'm sure you know the pain of uh, kids with electronics. And while I do uh, consider myself one of the old school people who really does limit my kids uh, with that, you know, it, it's tough if they're really uh, into something and they're enjoying it. It's you know, and it's one of those things where. Uh, sometimes as a parent, you have to make a tough call and, and tell them to cut it out. But then you do something stupid, like you or your wife hiding your iPad and no one can find it. And, uh, I'm sure it'll show up in like 20 years somewhere, but anyway, that's all I got for this week. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. I enjoy hooking up every week for this show. You can always get me at the barrel blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB works. You can get our tweetmeister, Tommy Adams, at TommyAdams71. You might want to check his Instagram account out because he's uh, also uh, a, a serial poster there as well. Uh, and you can get I Need No Name, BFW. 
I-N-N-N. He's always uh, always a pleasure to have on the site and on the podcast. Uh, I do think we have something special coming up next week that I'm working on for a special edition of the podcast. Hopefully that comes through and we can uh, talk about that in the middle of next week. But uh, thanks again for listening. Have a couple of beers on me this weekend. Enjoyed the World Cup finale, even though I think it's going to be insufferable between France and Argentina. But uh, I know it's a, it's a big event every four years. And even though I'm, I'm kind of downplaying and I'll be watching, uh, I just encourage you all to have fun this weekend. Enjoy things. We've got a couple of weeks until Byron starts back up, but we will be here at BFW either on the site or on the podcast, keeping you going, giving you all the news you need. Have a great weekend. We will see you next time.